Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I cannot hear any responses. Hallelujah. Are we excited to be here this evening? Hallelujah. The Bible says in Psalm 100 from verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so we have to come before the Lord with a lot of praise and thanksgiving. It says, Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to every generation. So if you are here this evening, if you think the Lord has not done anything for you, just remember that his faithfulness and his unfailing love is what has kept us here. So we are going to start again and enter his courts and his gates with thanksgiving. So hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's, it's really good to come your way once again this evening. Um, from Christchurch International to our midweek, uh, we welcome you to our midweek service this evening. And it's another Q&A, Get Understanding session tonight. Hallelujah. We haven't had one in a while, so it's exciting to be here again this evening. And this evening, we are going to talk about all things ministry. Hallelujah. Amen. So on behalf of Bishop James and Pastor Justine Hansen Saki, I want to welcome everyone who has joined us this evening to our midweek service tonight. It is a joy and a pleasure to have you worshiping with us. We are happy that you are here and we know that you will be blessed. So for our Q&A this evening, if you have any questions, please feel free to post them on YouTube and um, Christchurch HQ or send us an email to get understanding at Christchurches.org. Hallelujah. Are you ready for Q&A today? Are you ready? Yes. So, on behalf of myself and everyone here, please join me with some hand clap and some jumping and dancing as we welcome our very own Bishop James Hansen Sack. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Papa, for joining us uh, this evening and for another Get Understanding. I think we have um, yeah, we used up the, all the Get Understanding knowledge and it's time to fill us up again. Amen. Amen. We are happy that you are here to help us understand some more. Amen. Yes. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for tonight. We ask that your spirit will minister to us. Your wisdom will distill like dew in the name of Jesus. And that it will bring understanding, revelation, insight, and order to the lives of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Papa. So, um, as I said, we are talking all things ministry um, yes. this evening. Crisis, anything that's been bugging your mind about ministry, the service that we do in the house of the Lord, the service that we do as we go out to win souls um, for Christ. Tonight is the night. So, keep the questions coming and we will be blessed. Amen. Amen. As always, we have a few that have come in already. Right. And we will start with those ones. As we wait um, and see what the Lord will take us, where the Lord will take us. Amen. Amen. 
So and with your permission, Papa, I'll yes, like to start. Yes, we can start. All right. Um, the very first question we have is uh, is an interesting one. So it says, is it okay to pray prayers like Psalm 35 and Psalms 109 and when we are commanded to love each other as well in the Bible? I don't know if you want me to read a little bit of Psalm 35 just so that okay. everyone knows um, what we are talking about. So give me a second. I'll get that. So I'll start with Psalm 35, verse 1. It says, a psalm of David. O Lord, oppose those who oppose me and fight those who fight against me. Put on your armor and take up your shield. Prepare for battle and come to my aid. And it goes on and on. And we have Psalm 109 as well. And we know that these are prayers when um, that David prayed when he was really in some really tough places. Mm. But we go to the New Testament and it says we have to love each other. So is it okay to love one another and then pray such kind of prayers? <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. We thank God. Can, can you all hear me? Is my microphone out there? Is everyone hearing me? Do I have confirmation that I'm being heard? Yes, please, Papa, we do have confirmation now. Okay, all right, okay. So um, that's a very, very important question. Sometimes people have looked at that and thought that um, it's a bit contradictory, but it is not. Um, this sort of prayers um, that we see in the book of Psalms, um, we've mentioned Psalm 35, but I mean Psalm 5, Psalm 17, Psalm 10, Psalm 17, Psalm 35, Psalm 59, 69, 70, Psalm 83, Psalm 109, Psalm 140, Psalm 135. All these scriptures, and 137, 129, all these scriptures are what we call imprecatory prayers. Uh, to imprecate uh, is to invoke a curse or a divine judgment. Now, First of all, let's establish, the Bible says the scriptures were written for our learning. So if God did not want these prayers to be prayed, it would not be in the scriptures. Now we can have some scriptures that we have to jump over because we don't like the tone of it. Um, when we look at it, it feels like, should we pray such judgmental prayers? And then the other question was, if we were called into the New Testament to love our neighbor, why should we pray such prayers against them? Uh, in the first place, David, not only him, but most of the patriarchs, prayed this kind of prayers over their enemies. And when they pray that prayer over the enemy, they are not directly... The ones, if you look at the tone of the prayers, you will find out that they are asking God to judge. They are asking God to judge the unrighteous for the unrighteous acts against them. So they pray this sort of prayers in two ways. One is to pray God to bring his judgment upon enemies of God. 
and enemies of the work of God. And then anyone that is doing anything that is opposed to the will of God, such prayers were prayed. Now, if you take note of all these scriptures that some people have called dangerous prayers, and I've called them unloving prayers, you will notice that the patriarchs who prayed these prayers, including David, Jeremiah, and etc., did not take the matter into their own hands, and they never prayed as to the when and how. They have never prayed as to the when and the how, but then they have left that in the hands of God because they know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. So when we pray that sort of prayer, you are not praying it in the context of determining into your own hands when and how the judgment will be, but they are actually praying that God would take charge because he's a righteous God. See, sometimes we've heard it, people say, why is the pastor cursing people? We are not supposed to be cursing people. Okay, this, we are not supposed to be cursing people. But if people operate in a way that would disturb the work of God, you can pray these prayers. Now, you may be shocked, but it's there in the Bible. Jeremiah prayed that sort of, and Jeremiah's own was much worse. I, I mean, you, you will struggle with someone all night, but if you see uh, Jeremiah um, 18 or so, you, I don't think you will like it. <laughs> because that's when Jeremiah was praying that people's <laughs> children should be fatherless and motherless and the source should not depart from their house, etc. Now, when they prayed all these prayers, it is God who answers the prayer. So the question is, who answers the prayer in case the prayer they prayed came to pass? Who answers the prayer? If God found it necessary to answer the prayer, then it was a righteous prayer. But when you pray these sort of prayers, you don't determine how God should act because he's a righteous God. Sometimes he may minister to you, you have prayed it because an enemy has risen against the church, against the work of God. Most of the time, when we're talking about enemies, we are not talking about Christians necessarily, unless the Christian allowed the devil to use them. Our focus is more on the spirit behind the situation. But then when God begins to execute judgment, because he is the one who executes vengeance, he will know who to deal with. But it is not unbiblical to pray that. Otherwise, that should not be in the Bible. To have a verse of scripture to say we cannot pray that, or we then that's this is a whole large area of the Bible. But why did God allow that to be left there? The question is, what are we doing? That when such prayers are prayed, we get worried. But the other thing is that these sort of prayers are not the everyday type of prayer you should be praying. You know, that the little thing over a disagreement, you are invoking curses on people. You know, that, that should not be. Um, David prayed such prayers when his life was in danger and when the kingdom of God was in danger. So the question is, when we pray these sort of prayers, is the kingdom of God in danger? And it's our, our lives are in danger. And when we pray, remember, you, don't have, you can utter anything. If, if God is not the one, God is the one who answers the prayer. So if God didn't find it loving, he's not going to answer that prayer. Um, so when he says we should love our enemies, we will love them. But when an enemy wants to kill you, I don't think you are going to clap for the enemy. You will ask God to intervene. 
The imprecatory prayers are prayers of intervention invoking God's righteous judgment on a situation. Because God is a righteous judge, you may have an issue with someone, but when God judges it, it is not a case that should go in your favor. You can shout all these prayers you can. Nothing will happen because God is the one who answered the prayer. But if God also chose to answer the prayer, that's the other thing we must think about. Then could it be that the person praying the prayer is right in the realm of the spirit? So the scripture doesn't totally throw it away. What should not be our lifestyle is any level of disagreement. We are praying that people should die. You know, we shouldn't do that. When people leave the church, because these things have been in the news recently, uh, over a man of God has been cursing and cursing and all the videos are going around, etc. Um, there can be a positive side and a negative side, or there can be a reason for that type of prayer. Somebody can shout all they can. If God chose the one, he is the one who answers the prayer. It doesn't matter the vocabulary you use. It cannot bring the, the curse into being. It is God who answers the prayer. If God chose to answer the, the prayer, that is the question we must ask ourselves. God answered this sort of prayer, then that means that something is right in the spirit. That means somebody was wrong in the spirit. So, we are not supposed to be cursing people because they left the church. But if they begin to engage in activities that will destroy the work of God, we can summon God to act. And if God judges it to be right, he will act. So it's one thing for us to be very nice and say that, oh, as people in the kingdom, we are not supposed to pray such a prayer. We are not supposed to be cursing people. But the question is, even if you pronounce a curse, who answers the prayer? Because I've been asking people that, and they are not able to answer the question. If God answered the prayer, then it's a righteous prayer. If God chose not to answer it, then it is an unrighteous prayer. But we cannot say that because we don't like the tone of this prayer, then we are being unloving. If an enemy is coming to kill you, I don't think that you will love that enemy and stand there for them to kill you. If an enemy, an armed robber, enters your house, if you have a gun, you will defend yourself. I don't think you stand there and put your hands behind you and he attacks your family and you are just watching because you are loving him. I don't think so. So in the realm of the spirit, when an attack comes, you will pray. The only thing is to pray against the enemy that is working behind the scenes. What spirit is using the people? But if they chose to continue to carry on and you pray such a prayer, God is the one who knows how to deal with the matter. But like I said, it can't be an everyday prayer we are praying because I disagree with you. And therefore, I'm praying judgment against you every time your prayer is somebody should die. No. What would the death of somebody's father uh, prove? So, as pastors, we shouldn't be cursing people because they left the church. But if they left the church, they should live properly. But if they engage in activities to sabotage the work, then we can call on God, who will also judge righteously. Because if you leave a church, for example, and begin to tell people it's a bad place, it's an occultic place, the devil is there, everybody leave the place, at a point, the pastor will have to call on God to vindicate the calling on his life. Since you were there to know whether God called him or not, and you are now saying he has not been called by God, he has to call on God. And God will have to act in a way that will prove his calling. So throughout the scriptures, it happened. When there was a question about the call on Moses and the call on Aaron, God opened the earth and swallowed all the people, 250 people and their families. 
to send the message that he has called Moses. Moses prayed a, a, a kind of imprecatory prayer and God heard it and answered the question, uh, the, the prayer, and he settled the matter. When there was the issue about Aaron, the Bible says that everybody brought their rod. Moses had to pray. God made Aaron's rod to bad. And then there was a judgment sent to the camp. So you find out that throughout the scriptures, whenever there's an attack, Jeremiah was one of the most humble prophets we can see. But he prayed such a prayer. Now, so what I'm saying is that when there is a threat to the life and to the work of God, such prayers can go up. Okay, let me end it here. Maybe Amen. people have got follow-up questions on that. <laughs> yes, I have one already. Okay. Thank you, Papa. So these are not everyday prayers. Yes. This is God, the righteous judge, mm. who answers these prayers. Mm. I have two follow-up questions, Papa. Yes. Um, if you yourself mm. are not in a right standing and you pray that kind of prayer, mm. is it possible for you to face the consequences that you thought you were praying for someone else? Okay, that's as if you are praying against somebody else. Yes. But you yourself, you are not right. Yes, yes it is possible. Mm -hmm. You see, when these people pray these sort of prayers, they are the transparent expressions of a person to the righteousness of God in his judgment. So they leave that in God's judgment. Now, if you are going to pray such a prayer, what is the basis for praying such a prayer? Um, if you yourself, you are at fault and you are pronouncing a curse, you know, because you see, the, the thing is that people see it as you pronouncing a curse. No, you are actually, if you look at this context, they are actually imploring the righteousness of God to bring judgment. Now, in the New Testament, Paul prayed like that over Elimas. You see, that was an enemy to the work of God. If I get into a mission field and there's a witch doctor, you know, projecting things against me, I will pray such prayers <laughs> because I won't stand there for him to kill me. I will have to pray some prayers that will also bring judgment on him. And, and so these scriptures are relevant in those situations. Now, but then if for you to pray such prayers for them to have effect, you must have righteous standing with God. You know, you can't just be walking in sin and at any point in time, you want to, <laughs> you want to say these things. God is just not moved by these things. The devil himself will not back off because you prayed such, uh, read such scriptures. And so our righteousness is always key. We must be correct. We must be standing right. Uh, sometimes people have just said, well, I don't care, back to sender. Make sure that you are standing right before saying back to sender because your back to sender may not move. Sons of Skiva are examples. You know, but what I want to drive home is that it is God who answers this sort of prayers. That is very, very important. There's another level of curse. That's when you involve Satan's powers. That is not what we are talking about here. David asked God in his righteous judgment to judge the matter. And God in his own wisdom knew how to do it. If you look at the example of Moses, he only prayed to God and said, looking at the rebellion of these people against me, questioning your call over me, calling me names that I brought them to kill them and that probably you haven't called me and that they are equally called. If they die the death that everybody has died before, then you haven't called me. You see, even though he prayed that prayer, he could not determine how God was going to carry that one out. You know, and then the Bible says that God said to him, okay, separate the people. And when he separated himself from them, this group of people and their people were on the other side. And suddenly the earth opened beneath them and they were all swallowed by the earth and the earth itself moved back and covered them. You know, Moses didn't pray this specific one. 
he only prayed that God should judge if he is called or not. And so, right in the New Testament, we see Paul praying. Somebody was committing fornication in the church, and I think he's becoming stubborn and stubborn. And Paul said that he's going to pray and hand over that person to Satan. This is New Testament. This is New Testament. Peter, again, in the case of Ananas and Sapphira, did not pray that they should die. But he invoked the righteousness of God, that you have lied to God and not man. And immediately they fell down in church and died. Is Peter not loving his neighbor? You see, so you, you see these things running through the scriptures. Except that, you see, like I said before, the reason why sometimes people frown on this and try to use the scripture that says we should be loving and not pronouncing these things is because of the way we have been taught to think, okay, it's, it means gentleness and not this sort of prayers. Um, we have all been taught that Jesus was very gentle and calm and kind. But we saw him beating some people in the, in the temple area uh, when they were disturbing the order of God in the temple. Uh, he got angry at a point and, and cursed a tree. <laughs> That's his humanity uh, at work. So we see some of these things in scripture. And so these sort of prayers... Uh, they, they are imprecatory prayers. They are not out of place, but it should not be our normal way of praying. Amen. Amen. Imprecatory prayers. I can see that Pastor Hamon has spelled it in the chat. So if you are taking notes and you are struggling to write it, it is there for us. Amen. Amen. It is about the righteousness of God. Mm. I pray that um, we will live lives that will not cause people to have to pray such prayers against us. Amen. 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 In fact, one more thing, even in Revelation chapter 6, you'll find out that the, the saints who have been beheaded and persecuted for their faith, they are praying this sort of prayer right before God daily, that when would you take vengeance on those who killed us? Right before the throne of God, the Bible says the souls of the saints are crying out to God to invoke judgment. This is New Testament as well. Amen. 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 <laughs> yes, we have taken off. And <laughs> I have uh, another follow-up question, Papa. Okay. It says that, is it okay for a Christian to pray such judgmental, imprecatory prayers in their nudity? Um, that is now taking it to another level. Um, again, such... Once you move into this, praying that prayer alone shows that you are hurt. Um, moving into nudity, is, is, it tells the level of hurt and how much judgment you really want to be released. Uh, but we must not uh, move into that realm. When we move into the nudity aspect, it is something that happens under um, satanic cultic curses. When we are cursing uh, people from, you know, on the other side, these are certain things. Um, certain tribes, for instance, the Ga tribe, the Ga tribe from Accra in Ghana, um, right through the coast from Usula, especially and Gamashi, there are certain gods that respond the moment you become nude and you begin to pronounce curses. They will act. We see people die. We see that happen. This is satanic power, but it is because what we call um, altars, symbols, and tokens. You know, we can have service all right in the service, and we can pray generally and see a move of God. 
uh, when we leave the anointing oil, it, the atmosphere changes in a way because oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So whenever certain symbolism is enacted, it invokes the deity that is connected to it. So when we lift oil, we know the Holy Ghost moves. And, and so in the same way, when it comes to pronouncement of judgment and curses, if you are from this very um, ethnic area and you do that, you, you change the atmosphere. Uh, but as a Christian, as a Christian, uh, don't move into that. Uh, don't move into that because you may invite something else to take you over uh, because they respond to these things. And, and especially if you, if you are not very strong and you haven't dealt with the root of the bloodline to shut down these altars that see you as a member of theirs because when you were born, you were dedicated to them automatically. So anybody from these ethnic areas, depending on the type of dedication, and child naming ceremony that was held for you, you are automatically under that. So when you suffer anything and you strip and you start doing that, you invoke an atmosphere and such spirits come to take charge, sort of like defending you, but you know, going to kill. It always ends in death uh, on the other side. Uh, but when we are Christians, our, our righteousness and our demand for justice is to appeal to the throne room of grace. And, and God in his mercy may choose to act or may not. Uh, I will believe that probably the way Paul, uh, who is also called Saul, harassed the church. Probably some of them would have prayed prayers for his death. But God did not answer it in the way they wanted. Thought I would use this person for my kingdom and he would suffer for the sake of the kingdom. So, you know, he went through, he became an apostle. He wrote scriptures, but brother... He suffered more than any of the apostles combined. And so there was a way for which he suffered for what he did. But at the same time, God was using him, you see. And that is why we leave it in the hands of God for him to judge righteously. Uh, but as a Christian, uh, in your nudity, don't do it. Don't do it because you may invite something else to come in to, to take charge. And that will not be what you wanted. Thank you, Papa. So Christian brother, Christian sister, you have heard it. Don't do that. Just appeal to the righteousness of God. Amen. 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 Uh, we are moving on, Papa. Yes. So we've been praying a lot as a church about evangelism and soul winning mm. and reading books and on soul winning. So we have a question here on that. Right. And it says that, are there biblical questions that I can answer with I don't know? Mm. Or do I have to have an answer for everything when I'm sharing Christ with somebody? Amen. That's a very Amen. good question and a very practical one. Um, we, we can learn as much as we can, but we may not really know everything. And so there is a, a point in outreach if we are talking to unsaved people and they asked certain questions. If we don't have the answer, um, it would be wise to say, I may not have the, I don't have the answer to this, but I can go and check and come back uh, with an answer. So that would be better. Uh, because sometimes some of the people asking you the question may have read some things. It is better to say, I don't have the answer than to display your ignorance. And in that case, it becomes difficult to convince that person when you come the next time. Or it will rather lead to the person proving certain things to you and may make you feel, you know, ashamed and, and feel like you are inadequate to deal with the matter. So it is better to answer as much as you know 
and what you don't know, you can actually defer. If you look at the scriptures, you find that is how come we get certain um, teachings in the word of God. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was a response to a question that the church in Corinth was struggling with. And so they wrote to Paul who gave them the answer. You know, so sometimes Paul writes this concerning the question you asked me. If a whole church could write to their senior pastor in another location, it means that they were wise not to engage the heathen at a certain point when it's an issue, they send it back. Uh, even the apostles, Paul and the rest, when they had an issue in Antioch, they, they took the matter to Jerusalem for the church to deliberate, to get the right answer to bring back to, to the people. So when we go to evangelism and we are asked questions or we are talking to an unsaved person and he asks us questions and we don't have all the answers, it's all right to say, I don't know this one yet, but I will check and come back to you. That should be the best way to answer that. Amen. Thank you, Papa. Um, another question on um, when you go out for evangelism. Mm. Is there anything that you shouldn't do or anything you shouldn't say? So, um, you know, sometimes you, you, I've seen a video where mm. it almost seems as if the person who is doing the evangelism is really desperate for people to, uh, you know, receive Christ. So it almost appears as if the person is forcing people mm. to actually take that step. So are there any things that we should be mindful of when we go out um, to share Christ with so that it doesn't appear that we want to force people to do things that they are not really ready for? Yes. Um, I think that's the, the question, the, the, the gospel is good news. Um, we are supposed to preach the gospel um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we, we are supposed to speak. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction to the people. We should not force people. We can be, um, we will have to sound convincing. But when we have done enough prayer preparation, you see, evangelism starts from the realm of the spirit. So when we do our proper prayer preparation and we get into the outreach field, we are supposed to preach the gospel. If you look into the scriptures, again, the scripture becomes our guide. We really want people to be saved. But we mustn't be seen to be forcing people against their will. That's why this, Jesus was very careful when he says, go ye into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Bring out the convicting words of God that the Holy Spirit will take and convict the hearts of the people. Present the truth of the lostness of humanity that they are lost and that they need salvation and that they need to give their life to Jesus Christ. You present it and they will make that choice. When Philip explained to the Ethiopian eunuch the message of salvation from Isaiah 58, when the eunuch was the one who saw the water in the wilderness, it was the eunuch who exclaimed, this is water, what stops me from being baptized? Philip then gave him the platform again and says to him, if only you believe. And then he stopped there. He didn't say only you believe in what? Because I believe he had taught him that in the, in the scriptures he used from the Isaiah 53 to teach him. And he says, only if you believe, you may. Then the man exclaimed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
upon this statement, the Bible says that Philip then said to him, then you may. And then the man commanded the chariot to stop. Then Philip took him down to the water and baptized him. You see, leaving the decision with him. It wasn't pulling him by force. I'm not leaving this courage until you have confessed Christ. We will persuade them, but we cannot be acting like the way some of the things we see where people are dragging people and say, you is by force you must be saved. The choice will be theirs. You do your part and trust that the Holy Spirit will take the words from your mouth and bring conviction to the hearts of the people. It is when we preach the true gospel that the Holy Spirit will work with. If we go and tell people they must come to Christ, they will be rich. It's poor gospel. Because there are people who don't know Christ, they are already rich. So what would we preach to them if they are already rich? They need Jesus Christ because they are lost. And that is the message we must preach. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction. As you are preaching, you'll be praying silently within you. And after you leave the message in their hands, for them to think about, you also be praying, Holy Spirit, convict him, convict her. Let her catch the message. But we can't force them. Amen. Amen. Amen, Papa. Um, I'll come back to that one again. <laughs> because, um, so you know how Jude um, 22 and 23, yeah. it says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, mm. and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Sometimes people use the scripture to say, I, you know, there are some people that it's very easy for them to accept Christ, but some others you have to really force them, pull them out of the fire. Is that a right interpretation of this scripture? Um, no. See, the correct interpretation of that scripture is that, first of all, there is a danger out there. We are supposed to snatch them out of the fire. You start your snatching process in the place of prayer. You see, it is not by might nor by power. The scripture also tells us in the Second Corinthians account, 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4, that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their eyes. So outreach is a spiritual activity. Satan is in control of people's mindsets. Now, the desperation to pull them out must start in the place of prayer. That is the real context there. And that should drive us to the streets to knock on their doors, to deliver the message. When we deliver the message, they will have to make a choice. See, the risk in trying to use this scripture in the literal sense of forcing people to admit Christ, if I don't want you to disturb me, okay, yes, Harry, lead me through the sinner's prayer. I've said it, but my heart is not in it. And you'll be satisfied, but I'm not born again. You know, and the next day you are coming to get me to church, I run away. You know, because I'm not saved still. I'm only pretending so that you stop disturbing me. But true salvation comes from conviction of the Holy Spirit when the true word of God is preached. And that begins from the place of intercession. So the desperation to pull them out of the fire should start with we calling their names in prayer and asking, Father, in the name of Jesus, let every demon holding their mind from believing be cast out. Every lifestyle, you see, you'll be able to tell, as I wrote in my book on doing the master's will, and, and the latest one is coming out soon. It's, it's loaded. You just be, must, must be ready to read more. Because this one is more than the previous one. Uh, but it's, it's, it's important that you do that sort of intercession. And then also in ministration, you sound very convinced that you believe that this is real. And that hell is real. You speak with all the conviction. But in the end, as it is said proverbially, we can only take 
the horse to the riverside, but we can't force it to drink. You know, that is why Jesus used that word, go ye into the world, preach the gospel. So do the preaching of the gospel. He that believes, that means that he's expecting some people may choose to believe or not. Sometimes after you have sown the seed of the word, one, two, three days later, something will rise within the person. Sometimes it's a year later that the seed you sow begin to work. So let's not give up, but let's be careful that we are not saying, I'm not leaving your door until you have accepted Jesus Christ. Well, he may act it out. He may pretend and you'll be falsely satisfied that you have won a soul and you haven't won a soul. Amen. 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 Evangelism starts from the place of prayer. Amen. Amen. And moving on, Papa. Yes. So how do I respond to someone who doesn't see the Bible as a trustworthy source? Um, the Bible says that it is by faith that we understand that the wells were framed by the word of God. Um, we believe the Bible is the word of God by faith. Um, the person who does not believe, really, his eyes are still not opened. Spiritually, he's still blind. First um, Corinthians chapter 2 uh, also tells us that the natural man, verse 14, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God uh, because they are spiritually discerned. It sounds foolish to them. Uh, it takes spiritual understanding to believe that the Bible is not just a mere history of the Jews, but it is the word of God for us. Uh, and so one of the ways to um, convince this person is to prove through the scriptures the predictive prophecies is one of the most striking ways of bringing the understanding. The predictive prophecies in scripture um, that talks about, for instance, the birth of Jesus Christ uh, by a virgin. And if you can pick it from Genesis and, and walk the person all the way through uh, the prophetic indications right through to Isaiah, um, it will be able to point out. Then there are also several other predictive prophecies, some which have come to pass, some which are yet to come to pass, that we can use to show to someone that, look, this is the word of God, because this is not just history. Um, the death of Jesus Christ, again, prophesied over a thousand years before that happened, um, even his name, his birth, um, the other occurrences of the miraculous birth in scripture. People may argue, okay, but that also happens in Hindu cultures and, and things like that. But the, the predictive aspect of the Bible, the, the fact that it has, it has survived empires and kingdoms, it has transformed lives, and above all, most of the time, the incidences recorded in scripture and its pro prophetic future is the key to bringing understanding to someone. And besides, Every content of scripture can be traced right to the physical location where the content of the Bible was recorded, and that is Israel. So if someone goes physically to Israel, there is some area there. Uh, recently, you were watching the, the war between Hamas and, uh, uh, and Israel, and, and you are hearing Gaza and Ashdod and and places that you have read in the scriptures, Jerusalem is still where it is. Um, you go there and still find that the temple area is still there. There is a wailing war. I mean, these are all indications that such a place recorded in scripture is correct. The Jewish temple is not there 
at the moment. Jesus prophesied it. His disciples came to him in Matthew 24 and 25. And they said, when would these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming? And he says, as you see the beautiful stones, the days will come where you will not find one stone upon another. We are here. There's not one stone upon that temple. Currently, and he says the abomination of desolation will take place, that the heathen, the Gentiles will take over. We have a mosque, a, a, an Islamic mosque in that very location, but the days will come, the proper temple, will, the third temple will be built. Now, these are all things that in order to prove scripture, we need to be well taught in the scriptures to use the Bible to prove that this shows that this is correct. Besides, if you are a Christian, use your personal testimony. For instance, you pray in tongues. Now, that doesn't make sense, isn't it? How did you receive Holy Ghost baptism? The Bible mentioned it. 2,000 years later, hands were laid on you at a camp meeting or in church, and you're also speaking in tongues. And you ask, I mean, this is your personal testimony that you can share on the authenticity of Scripture because you have experienced salvation, you have experienced the Holy Spirit, you have experienced something that really cannot be disputed. You know, so these are... Some of them, we don't need to be th so theological sometimes. We just need to use our everyday lifestyle to really prove that this thing I have believed, I am seeing these signs. Um, and so that is one of the ways, in the layman's way, to really present the, 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 the response to someone who does not believe that the Bible is a trustworthy source. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Papa. I so, believe there will be some follow-ups on that. Yes, it will come. <laughs> so we have to be well-versed in the Bible to be able to use um, the predictive prophecies mm. and uh, also our personal testimonies. So you have to have your personal testimony. You can't just go and have nothing to say. Amen. Amen. We, have, we have to be ready in season and out of season and be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us the reason for our faith. Amen. 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 Um, I have something that might be uh, linked to, to this, uh, what we are talking about a bit now, Papa. It says, how can I trust Jesus if I don't trust the church? <laughs> how can I trust Jesus if I don't trust the church? Yes, please. Okay. Um, when there's, uh, I'm hesitating because I, I, I may not understand the church here because the church could be two things. Are we referring to the body of Christ as a church or a particular church who may have conducted themselves in a way that has made you not to trust uh, Christ? Um, can we look at it from maybe a particular church? Okay. Yes, please. Right. So if it's a particular church, um, we cannot uh, distrust Jesus. Um, the Bible says he's the head of the church. Um, and he's perfect. He's sinless. He has done no evil. Um, humans cannot be perfect. Um, excellence is not the same as perfection. It is only God who is perfect. It's only Christ who is perfect. That's why he qualified to come and redeem us because we can't help ourselves. So a particular church will be headed by a pastor who is a man of God. And yesterday I was talking to another pastor who was going through some challenges in his church in the U.S. And I said to him, you are a man first before the God. And sometimes that is what the people must understand, that the man still comes out before the God who called you. 
So we are human. And therefore, if you look on the failings of a pastor to doubt Christ, that is an error of judgment. Because that pastor is only a representation of Christ. Um, Christ is still perfect. And that's why Paul in teaching the church says that follow me as I follow Christ. As I follow Christ. Now that scripture means that if I deviate from following Christ, keep following Christ. So you must trust Christ. It is a human being who may have fallen, may have his personal human weaknesses that may make you uncomfortable and therefore you may not be happy in that place or with that pastor or in that environment, but it does not change the fact that Christ is perfect and we can trust him and we can follow him. If, if that pastor is no longer alive, you must still serve Christ. So your life should not be patterned because a pastor hurt you. Your life should be patterned after the word of God and Christ himself. And so Christ is so perfect that we cannot, you know, use the, the failings of our fellow man to judge and say, because this person is supposed to be a mature Christian or a pastor and he hurt me, then Christ can no longer be trusted. That is a very faulty judgment. That is not maturity. That is not proper interpretation of scripture. There is no one perfect like God. And he's the one that we must follow. So even if it is the body of Christ, again, he's the head of the church. So if your finger has a problem and you cut it off, the head is still standing. Follow the head. Follow Christ. Amen. 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 Follow Christ because he's the only one who is perfect. Amen. Amen. Um, so I have a question that's linked to the previous one about being well-versed in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So this question says, um, oh, sorry, hold on one minute. Yeah. It says, if a Christian doesn't read their Bible mm. and doesn't go to church, mm. are they still saved? <laughs> If a Christian does not read their Bible mm. and they don't go to church, yes. are they still saved? Yes. Okay. We, we are first of all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ upon confession of our sins mm. and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and confessing him as the Son of God. For the Bible says that if we will believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we shall confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we shall be saved. Having been saved, we are supposed to grow. When we become born again, our body and our mind is still um, matured. But your spirit man is the one that is born again. Mm-hmm. And so your spirit man must grow. And that is why the local church is there for us to grow. Because according to the order of God, God has set pastors in the church to equip everyone who becomes a believer so they will be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So if you stay at home and you don't read your Bible and you don't stay at home, then you are not growing and you are not fulfilling what Christ would want you to fulfill. So it didn't, his intention is not for us to be Christians and just stay home and read our Bible. 
His intention is for us to be Christians and in his own wisdom provided the fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. These are the leaders of the church to provide us with equipment so that we will do the work of the ministry. So if you stay at home, how would you do this aspect for which one day you stand before God to be judged? Your spirit man may be saved, but you will not grow and you will not please God because that is not the order of growth that he planned for us. It's like giving birth to a child and your child from age zero decides, I won't eat anything. I don't want to go to school. I want to stay in my room alone and just stay there and eat only my food, but I won't do anything with any member of the family. How would you feel as a mother and as a father? You find that there's something wrong with your child because it doesn't line up to, and you regret for even giving birth to that child because everything is odd. So in the same way, when we become born again, we have been born into Christ. There is an expectation of the one who gave birth to us mm. that we will have to eat his food, which is his word, and we must submit ourselves unto his representations, his representatives who are the pastors, and they will equip us to do the work of the ministry. Let me submit here. There is some doctrine going around that because we are all equal in Christ, and things like that, we don't need a pastor. It is coming directly from the pit of hell. It is coming directly from the devil. If you look at God's pattern, you need a pastor. And even though we are all born again, we are not the same. You are not the same. Read your scriptures. Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, those who rule over you, and it's not talking about politicians, your pastors. It says, those who rule over you are worthy of double honor. Again, that's an account in Timothy, 1 Timothy 5. So, right through the scripture, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 or 30, it says, and God has set in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, and he gave gifts unto men, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, to provide equipment for the work of the ministry. So, you, you can't say I'm born again, and I don't need a pastor, then your actions are directly against the very word of God you are claiming you are reading at home. So it is not proper to do so. Um, you may still be saved, but you will not grow. And that will be, on the day of judgment, you will be judged as to whether you did the work of the ministry. Because as I've been teaching, throughout the scriptures, you find it is not because we became doctors or engineers. When we become born again, there is something expected of us. So that's error. Because I have a problem with someone. I don't want to go to church anymore. All churches are the same. All churches are liars. Be very careful. All churches are not liars. Amen. 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 So yes, you cannot sit at home and just read your Bible. You may be saved, but your spirit man needs to grow. And you need to be able to do the assignment that Christ gave to us before he left. Amen. Amen. So if you haven't been coming to church and you are sitting at home and join online broadcast, this is a reminder to you that we will see you on Sunday at <laughs> Bexley Heath Academy. Amen. 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 Next question, Papa. Yes. It says, I'm always anxious. Mm. Are there any practical steps besides prayer? that I can take to overcome this? Um, yes, there are. Um, but prayer must start it. And when we pray, what are we expecting? Um, we should believe God if we are anxious. Exactly what is even the prayer topic when we are praying, 
if we are anxious? Um, are we asking God to take the anxiety away? Or are we are asking God to take the source of the anxiety away? Because something makes you worried. Is that thing still there? How is a prayer? Or you are just saying, Lord, give me peace of mind. You know, this is a non-specific prayer. So you need to pray specifically. Um, the, the scripture in um, Philippians 4, 6 um, is very, very instructive in this. Um, where it says that be anxious for nothing, um, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So it leads it, you know. Uh, with thanksgiving, let the request be made known to God. Anytime we are worried about something and we share it with someone, you know, a problem shared is half solved. And so when we share it this time to God in prayer, it is one step. Um, but don't give up on prayer because sometimes I see people ask questions like this and sort of like as if I'm tied with prayer, uh, as if prayer doesn't work or it is just some form of practice. I want some practical thing more than we can try everything practical. But prayer is key. If we are praying correctly and properly, in the midst of the prayer, a solution will come to the practical way of dealing with it. You see, so we need to first of all commit things to God in prayer and we must have faith in God when we pray that God will deal with the matter. Mm -hmm. Then we can try the other things because the other things you want to try, if the cause of your anxiety is of spiritual origin, we can try all the best books and all the experts, those things will not push a demon away. That is why prayer becomes the first point. People, we are people of faith. And we mustn't be too advanced to start looking down on prayer and think, let me, look, let's talk reality. You know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, let's put the Bible aside and let's talk reality. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing more real than the word of God. Amen. And the word of God itself is spirit and truth. And the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm. And God is more real than the physical realm. So when we say let's put aside the Bible or prayer and let's talk realities, we may be applying wisdom of men, but we may not be solving the problem if it's of a spiritual origin. But the scripture says that we should pray first, answer the prayer by inspiring us to go and get a therapy from somewhere. If it is divinely led, it will lead to a divine solution. Then the Bible also says, then the next verse of scripture after the prayer talks about, and whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are noble, if there's anything of praiseworthy, think on these things. So that means that after prayer and we are anxious, the next physical step is there in scripture. Change how you think. What is it that is putting the fear in you? Sometimes you may need to say to yourself, what's the worst that can happen to me? The thing I'm afraid of, what is it? What is the worst that can happen to me? You see, you are conditioning your mind to say, I don't care. What, what is it I'm afraid of that I'm going to suddenly die or I'm going to fail or I'm going to be embarrassed? Come what may, let it come, let's see. You understand? So that makes your mind switch. And that's what the scripture is saying. Think on good things. The fear of the what ifs of the negatives, switch it and it must be deliberate that you switch the thinking so it takes it away. I don't have a job for many years. Okay, and so? So I should die? You know, I refuse to die if I don't have a job. I shouldn't die. That should not be on my grave. That shouldn't be on my tombstone that he died for being jobless. Is that how you are thinking? You must reject that thought. So you start thinking, but what if I get a job next week? 
you know, that changes your condition. You know, so every other thing that is becoming the source of worry, you can actually switch it around. You know, I remember one of my sons in the ministry asked me, how are you dealing with these things? You know, especially the church and the, you know, the building issue and all the finances and all of that. You know, sometimes I see you are quiet and you are, but how are you surviving? And I said, I'm following the scripture. Uh, think on these things. Whatever is true. Uh, the fear of the negative is not true. It's, it's, it's a false um, experience appearing real. That is fear. <laughs> false experience appearing real is false. It's not true. I refuse to see it as it is. I'm seeing it from God's perspective. You know, and some, sometimes I've, I've just said to myself, it is God's work. God, that's your business. You sort it out. I know you sort it out. It changes the way I think. I don't need to have sleepless night over that. Um, I need to live. I need to be strong. I need to be healthy because I know that that would, it's a phase and it will be over. And it is the mindset which you cultivate. Sometimes depending also on the cause of the anxiety, you may need therapeutic assistance. Maybe you need a doctor. You need a psychiatrist. You may need a, a psychologist to help you. And in our church, we don't say you cannot. You, you should be. God has also given them wisdom. So when we are praying all the, all the time, you are switching your mind all the time. But sometimes somebody has studied in that whole area. And with proper guidance, you get in there to receive proper um, therapeutic intervention, which will help you. I think that I recommend that as well. So we can go through these three levels. And basically, you will find out that what the therapist may teach you is already there in the scripture in terms of the practical steps of changing the way you think. Let, let me pause here. Amen. 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 So it always starts with prayer. And um, specific prayers are that. And then you need to change the way you think. I have a question on... on it's not... Well, an add-on add question. Mm. So... Um, if you have, it, it goes back to the specific prayers, Papa. Mm. If you keep having thoughts um, of dying, mm. what do you do? What kind of specific prayers do you pray? Do you pray just to live? Do you pray against where the thoughts are coming from? How, what do you pray in these situations? Okay. Um, if we have thoughts of dying... Um, we mustn't um, play it down. We need to take it seriously. Sometimes if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, um, it may be impressions we are getting in our spirit of something that is coming or something that is being planned in the spirit world. And so you are receiving a word of knowledge uh, through that. Uh, when word of knowledge is, is being you know, released to us by the Spirit of God. Uh, it may not come in an audible voice. It may come as if it's our own mind. And it may be an indication of God is telling you something. Uh, it may be your own human spirit, which is also picking something. But whatever it is, prayer is the key. And so you pray to deal with, pray and bind any, first of all, anything going on in the realm of the Spirit. Whether God is revealing it to you, or making you eavesdrop something that is going on, or a satanic meeting has planned such a thing. Um, it can also be, again, a spiritual indication of something in the bloodline that is a standing order. At a certain age, some people die. 
or a certain curse is operating that a certain age distance so it becomes more rampant as you are getting close to that age it's becoming much more you need to wage war you need to pray and it's not the one minute type of prayer but you must actually set some time aside and fast and pray to deal with the source of it bind every spirit assigned to bring about this untimely death and the thoughts of death itself you pray and ask God to take it away. If it is the Spirit of God actually helping you, then or sort of revealing something to you, then we need to pray to ask God that we terminate it from manifesting. You know, so you need to take it very seriously. And whoever it is, you pray, you set aside sometimes as a starting point, take the day of your birth and fast on that day and deal with this as a sole prayer topic. Bind it, cast it out, deal with it until that pressure lifts off until the burden goes away. That's how Count Daniel ended up praying for 21 days. That's how sometimes we end up praying longer than we imagined. Sometimes when I go away alone on waiting, um, you have to be disciplined to go alone on waiting. Um, and you have your schedule. You know, I know that I'm reading three hours of scripture after which I'm praying for the next seven hours. You know, that I'm alone at the, at the place, so I... I have the time. I'm seeking God here. I didn't come for fun. Every other internet, anything is switched off. I'm dealing with the Bible and God alone here. And sometimes you, you end up praying. You have planned that you are praying seven hours and you end up praying for about 12 hours more because, you know, it's round the clock. I'm there for three days. I'm praying round the clock. Uh, I don't have to worry about whether I take my bath or not. I'm, I'm actually coming to seek God here. So, you know, sometimes you get in and there is a depth. I don't know how to explain it, but there's a depth. You get to, you can't stop the prayer. The burden is not lifting. So you keep pushing until you feel in the spirit something is lifted off. And then you see a drop in of the Holy Ghost of another prayer topic and it moves to the next level. So you, sometimes I've gone to wait and I've ended up praying round the clock. Round the clock. You see, so, and it's like 24 hours and you are still in prayer. So these things, you don't predict them. But when you take this sort of matters to fasting and prayer and pray like that, you will begin to find solutions. You begin to deal with things. And in the midst of the prayer, God will begin to reveal why you are having these thoughts. That you soon find out it is not an ordinary thought. That it is actually an impression in the spirit. The Bible says God does not leave himself without a witness. And maybe we are expecting an angel to appear, but he too, that's how sometimes he speaks to us. And we think it's my own mind. I don't know, but every time I think I may not cross this age, you know, it, you don't have to play with it. Set time aside. Start it off with the day of your birth and start praying. It will help you. It's a beginning point. Sometimes I don't know which day to start. Start. If you are born on Tuesday like me, pray on Tuesday and fast the whole day and be praying on the prayer topic. Deal with the matter. See, if something is really worrying you, you don't pray two minutes over that. You don't let anything, it's a serious matter, put everything aside and go to God. You will soon find meaning and revelation coming up through that as to what we are dealing with. You may dream some dreams that may take you to some place and you begin to see this is the origin of what I'm dealing with. So the spirit realm is real and our Christian faith is not just to come to church and sing and praise God. But these are the realities we are dealing with. So if you are struggling with something like that, Please start it off in the place of prayer and ask God to reveal what you are dealing with. It's a prayer topic. Father, reveal to me what I'm dealing with. Begin to bind every spirit that has been assigned to bring about death. 
every other voice that is speaking to me in this. Lord, if it is not you, I bind it. And if it is you, lead me now in this place of prayer and begin to pray. And I mean, nothing stops you from actually binding because it's bad news. It must never come to pass. So you are praying that not now. You know, as you begin to deal with it in prayer, you will see that this is what you are dealing with. Amen. 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 Thank you, Papa. That was a very deep, deep answer. May the Lord help us. Amen. 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 I have um, an interesting ministry question here, but yes. I've also seen a full-on question mm. to the one about reading the Bible and going to church so that your spirit man will grow. Right. Um, so I'll take that one first and right. then we'll come to this one. So it says, um, so reading the Bible, praying and going to church is extra tasks that some people um, do not want to engage in because they think the pass mark is just salvation. Mm. How do we encourage these people to grow? Right, okay. So whenever anybody have this mindset that um, coming to church, reading the Bible, growing, is like a very difficult chore. Um, it's, it's a very clear sign that there was a poor discipleship um, on the person. Uh, Jesus taught us how to do this work. First, he says we must speak to people and present the gospel to them and teach them about what the salvation plan God has for them, after which we are supposed to baptize them. And then we are now supposed to teach them everything that they are supposed to know as they became Christians. Sometimes, that is what is lacking in today's church. People are happy to be born again, but to go through that process of discipleship, that is what, as a church, we must do. That is what anybody who gets born again must actually be schooled again in everything Christ has taught us. The process of discipleship, the basic understanding of why I need to do these things. Now, when they don't have it, they have this mindset. Now, what we need to do to encourage such people is to go back to basics. Connect with them. Take the scriptures. If you are listening to me, you can develop a whole message on Christian commitment and teach them what is expected of a disciple. That actually, there are two job descriptions in the house of God, according to Ephesians chapter 4. All the group we call pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, these five levels of ministry, these are extensions of the anointing that was originally on Christ. So these fivefold were all in Christ. When he ascended up on high, he dropped them. So anybody he genuinely called is functioning in either one or a combination of these anointings. And they are supposed to provide us equipment that is training and teaching then the congregation members are supposed to do the work of the ministry. So that is why you cannot be a Christian and don't belong to a local church that you are actively involved in doing the work of the ministry because that's if you look into the body of scripture, you have a case to answer to God. Now, because of that, we can take that and lovingly go to this brother or sister who has been miseducated um, to actually rekindle the fires of revival in that person by taking your, let the word of God speak and show from the scriptures why they need to be in church, why they need to actively play a role in church. Some people just think, oh, they say I should join the choir. Okay, I've just joined. So I just go to Reza and come. No, you are still not understanding it. 
do you even understand the ministry of being in the choir? Do you understand what it means to be in the protocol department? You know, it's not just showing myself on Sunday, etc. Your role there, you should be able to actually also teach some people to grow in the word of God, make disciples as well. And your function should be making people stay in the house of God to grow in church. So there are many, many things that are involved in our work as members of the house of God. Um, so when somebody has that way, uh, way of thinking, it's very, very clear. They have a poor understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And so we then, as the scripture says, if anyone is taking, overtaken in a fault, Galatians 6, 1 to 2, we that are spiritual should gently instruct the person back into the right way. Amen. 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 Thank you, Papa. Now I come back to my question. Yes. Um, I believe ministry has made me lonely. Will this pass? <laughs> the person says they believe that ministry has made them lonely. Um, ministry can be lonely and sometimes it can be very exciting. Um, when ministry becomes lonely, it is because sometimes we have lost friends because our growth and maturity in ministry means that we can't flow at certain frequencies with certain people. Um, and because of that, if we don't have many friends of the same way of thinking and ministry, then it's going to be lonely because those people actually want to avoid you uh, because they know when they come near you, you will get them born again. You see, so we lose uh, friends based on that. Sometimes they really want to be near us, but they don't want the conversation to shift to spirituality. And we also cannot compromise our spirituality and the kind of conversation we have with them. So yes, it can be lonely. But as we grow in ministry, we begin to move into another circle of people who are like us, who think like us, who walk like us. And so they become our new circle of friends. Uh, that would therefore not make us lonely. Uh, but ministry can be fun if you find your, your, your group of, of, of friends. Uh, this afternoon I was on the phone with one senior pastor like that. We laughed and cracked jokes for, for about 20 minutes and uh, it was going on and on and on and on. And then we have to share the benediction in part <laughs> way because we always jokingly say, hey, we are going to third service now and it looks like it will go on. Um, so you have friends like that. I think about two Saturdays ago, three Saturdays ago, we had a funeral in um, um, Coventry. Uh, and I, I went with about two other bishops. Uh, and it was, it was lovely, you know. And again, it brings to the fore what you're saying. Because I remember one of them saying, oh, we have to do this again. I said, funeral again. He said, no, no, no. I mean, we gathering again because it was lovely. Uh, catching up, but we could we could be free with each other. We could crack jokes. We could tease each other, and we went that way and came back. Um, um, and then the, the the thing was, one of them said, "Ha! Ah, now he feels healed, because a few days earlier he was feeling emotionally down, and his wife was telling him, "Why are you feeling down?" But he just felt that he was alone. He was lonely. He doesn't have too many friends to connect with. But, you know, if we come together like this, it, it relieves all of us. Of course, COVID restrictions, the nature of our ministries and assignments sometimes can be busy. But when we meet, it, it's fun. So I pray that God will uh, bring you into a circle of other ministers mm -hmm. and, and others that we have brought up like that so that you can, you can not feel lonely 
again. So yes, there is that possibility of loneliness because of the office we stand in and the way we have to conduct ourselves. So that is possible, but it will pass. It will pass. It doesn't stay Amen. like that for long. Amen. Amen. Please, uh, with your permission, I want to take two more questions. All right, before let's take we go. two more questions. <laughs> yes. um, the first one is linked to the one you just answered about loneliness. Mm -hmm. So um, in the past, you've always taught us that Jesus was someone who could very easily talk to people, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you are a naturally introverted person mm -hmm. and you've also come into ministry and you are lonely, and uh, you you find a new circle of you know people around you. How do you break that the introversion, mm. and how do you learn to trust the people in your circle enough to be able to share yourself and your thoughts and your fears and concerns and joy and all that with them? Mm. Okay, this is a very loaded question. Um, Yes, um, when God calls us, he also calls us with our temperaments. It's, it's part of the personality that he um, needs for the assignment. Um, others are extroverts uh, based on their original personalities of being sanguines or uh, cholerics or melancholics. Uh, phlegmatics are not so much uh, of um, extroverts, uh, even though melancholics also switch sometimes in between the two. Uh, but whatever be the case, um, if we find ourselves to be introverts, sometimes ministry has a way of breaking it uh, because the work involves talking. <laughs> so we, we will talk. And I know that I've been there before uh, because naturally I, I was introvert. It's only when you give me a microphone in the crowd that I change. Uh, but people don't believe it. Uh, but I think if you check with my wife, she will tell you and my children will tell you. Uh, it's still there. It's still an element of it. It's still there. It's when I see a crowd, the anointing takes over. So uh, it works that way. But um, when we come to that place, ministry has a way of breaking it. We need to be intentional also in the process. Uh, because that nature of ours, even though we know it, Actually, those who come close to us quickly pick it. And so sometimes they say, you are not friendly. And so because of that, they become cautious in actually cracking a joke with you. Being, so you must be the one to open the gate deliberately. Because otherwise, others see it. So they see it as a closed gate. So they don't push through. Meanwhile, you two, you are yearning to um, relate with people. But because... You, you don't realize that you have put up that gate. Uh, and so people see that and they easily back off. Um, so you have to be very intentional in, in opening up to strike acquaintances uh, with people. And you observe people. You have to intentionally also study the inner circle you are forming or the people that may be, they may be group of pastors within the same church and you are flowing together. So you begin to build on that trust so you can share certain things with, with you. Because in ministry, especially if you are pastors, you have to know that the, you have your friends, but the congregation members are not your friends. It, it takes time to build something. But th because there are certain things you can't share with congregation members, but you can share with another pastor, another senior pastor who has been a friend for many years. You know, we can be free with ourselves. We can share uh, our challenges, our issues, etc., and laugh over them. But you can't do that with congregation members. So that also increases that loneliness 
Now, if we begin to have other pastors within the congregation or within the church, or let's say I'm using pastors for now, it could be deacons, etc. But for instance, the, the highest place of ministry loneliness is the pastora. Um, you will find out that you need to, to trust, uh, but it starts from somewhere. We have to be able to do things together, uh, visit each other, uh, start flowing together, and, and be testing the buttons. You know, can I trust this person? And you need to prayerfully pray that as well, that the Lord will meet us together. And, and I think when those things get in, you'll be able to break that barrier down. Um, but the key also is that you must be the one opening the door if you are an introvert. If you're extrovert, it's easy. But when you're an introvert, it's, it's, easily, it's easily seen. It's easily seen. Others will know when you are actually operating professionally as a pastor. And they are able to pick when after service, you are back to your shell, you know. So it, we have to be deliberate about it. I had to be deliberate about it for a while. Some of you find me very, very loving, and, and yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't the same. Uh, Pastor Justin will educate you on that. <laughs> I can go back to the room, and that's it. I don't talk. And she will do all the talking. Uh, it's only when you give me a mic and a crowd, I will, I will talk. Uh, so I can be boring sometimes, but it's... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, it's improved now, very, very much improved. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Papa. So if you are introverted, you have to open the door deliberately after prayer because you don't also open the door to anyone. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Papa. You're welcome. Um, my last question. Mm. How do I find peace when an unsaved one dies? How do you find peace when an unsaved one dies? Is it an unsaved one you know or just anybody who is not saved? You, either you know or you, maybe you had a prompting to share mm. Christ with a person and you didn't do it and now the person is no more. Um, it's a very difficult um, situation to deal with. Um, especially because you know, sometimes it doesn't go away, the guilt. Um, because the, the scriptures, we continue to teach the scriptures. You continue to be in church. You continue to hear a message saying, you know, if you don't want the righteous and they die in their sins, you'll be here. So every time it brings back the memories. But we know that we have a loving, caring, and forgiving God. That even though he has put these things in his word, we can appeal to his mercy. And, you know, he's not a God that we play tricks with. Uh, he's not like a human being that we say, I would deliberately not do it. And then later I'll go and cry crocodile tears and ask for forgiveness and they'll forgive me. But as for God, he judges our hearts. So if, you know, you struggled with the thing, you rebelled against it, maybe the thought was coming, preach to the next door neighbor. Um, as we have a case like that in our church, um, and the person continues to have that guilt because, you know, he felt he must speak to this next door neighbor. It's a white British man, very elderly, but they are very nice just next to his house, you know, if he comes out, that's the next door. Um, but he didn't that night. And the bedding was there. He spoke to his wife again. The wife said, okay, why don't you go and knock on the door? He said, oh, but it's around 11 p.m. Why is this bedding to preach to him? Maybe another time. I feel shy. What if I go and raise a subject and he gets angry? But I have realized that the Holy Spirit is the one who will lead us like this. The devil will never put pressure on you to preach the gospel to another person. But he didn't do it. And in the early hours of the morning, as they woke up to 
uh, do morning devotion, they saw blue lights, emergency services lights, and uh, the news was that the man had died suddenly in the very early hours of the morning. Now, you can imagine his guilt. That was God giving me the opportunity to preach at least to this man, and I didn't. You know, so that guilt, occasionally he calls me to say, has, he, has God really forgiven him? Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you are, you are doing revival and, you know, you're going to meetings and crusades and things like that, and you are hearing all these things. It, it brings back the guilt. And I said to him, there's only one way. There's no amount of sin that we can commit that God will not forgive us. So it's not a, a kind of a, a trick on God that I will deliberately not do it. Then later on, I go to ask for forgiveness. Uh, but the Bible also says that if we confess with our mouth and we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us. So I said, pray to him. If you, if you happen to accidentally or deliberately kill someone, it's murder. The word of God says we must not murder. God has his judgment. But people have murdered and they have been forgiven by God. It is only God who will judge. So appeal to the mercy of God and ask God to forgive you and believe that he has forgiven you and move on to win other souls so that on the day you appear before him, at least in his mercy and his judgment, he will see that you have actually compensated for what you did. That alone will be at his mercy. But I believe that you can free yourself from that thought if you ask him for forgiveness. There's no amount of sin that we commit, that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse. And so this is a very serious sin. We see the consequences in scripture. It is equivalent to murder and all the others. If we can pray that God be merciful to a murderer, then God can be merciful to neglect of preaching the gospel and somebody dies. Um, So generally, if people die, it worries. Uh, If you are kingdom-minded, the first thing that happened is, did they know the Lord? This is permanent. This is forever. This is forever. This is forever. You know, and that, that kind of thinking. Uh, those days I was working in the hospital. If I get to the autopsy, um, um, you know, theater in the morgue, and you have bodies open to, to look at and all those things in, that we did in, in, in pathology, you, you know, that's a question that comes to me. If I see a dead body lying down, I ask myself, hey, this is dead. Much as you may be working, on it, I'm saying in my head, it's dead. It's permanent. It's not rising again. Heaven or hell. Every time it comes to my mind. And it can be very worrying that, did he, did he pass me by somewhere along the line that I should have shared the gospel with? Uh, so at this moment, when we are struggling with things like that, let's go out and preach the gospel. Amen. And if the guilt is there, ask God to forgive you. That also includes what he's capable of forgiving. Amen. Amen. And that is a very good point to end tonight's uh, Get Understanding on. Go out and preach the gospel. Win souls. That is our assignment on earth. Amen. Amen. Have we been blessed this evening? If we have, please join me to say a very big thank you. I want to see some claps and some emojis and some dancing and some joy online as we say thank you very much uh, papa once again amen um this evening has been different it's it's um i've learned a new word imprecatory <laughs> um but you have also taught us a lot 
I mean, we probably just started off thinking we we're going to ask maybe, oh, it's about ministry. Mm. But we've learned the importance of prayer. Mm. We've learned specific prayers. We've learned the importance of soul winning. Mm. And we've also learned the importance of us being well-versed in the Bible as well mm. so that we'll be able to do the assignment that God has called us to. Mm. So we have learned a lot, and we just want to say thank you, Papa, once again. Amen. 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 We thank God. Thank you. Thank you also for, for, for being in the audience. And I believe that your life has been blessed. The most important thing is that what you have received tonight, please share it with others. Start a conversation with someone and share it with them. And encourage anyone who is having feeble needs in staying in church, in growing in church and working in the kingdom of God. Amen.